Katerina Malovieva is no stranger to war. She was raised in Ukraine's Donbass region, from one of the territories that was claimed by Russian-backed separatists in 2014. Shells hit the northern suburbs of Donetsk. The Ukrainians want this city back under Kiev's control. The separatist fighters say they won't let that happen. And now, she's watching war break out in her home country all over again. This is a double trauma for me and for many other people who left Donbass in 2014. Back then, Katerina was a PhD student in history. But after the 2014 war began, she became a journalist. She's been a freelance producer ever since and is now working with Al Jazeera to cover this war, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's more painful because for the second time in my life, I need to start everything from scratch. It, it, is, it is scary because uh, I don't know what, what will be next. I'm Malika Bilal and this is The Take. Katina, there is so much that I want to talk to you about today regarding your experience being a Ukrainian journalist covering your second war in just a few years. But I know that right before you got on for this interview, you had some bad news. Can you tell us what happened? Um, yeah, this morning we were about to depart to Zaporizhia to cover the story about the IDPs, people who are fleeing Mariupol, a besieged city in the east of Ukraine. And then I received the message via the social network from my godmother. Uh, she messaged me that my mother uh, passed away this morning. This news was devastating, to be honest. Considering all what is happening right now in Ukraine, and considering the problems with the access to those areas where my parents live because they live on the uh, separatist-controlled territory, Russian-backed separatists. So it's um, almost impossible to, to, to visit them, almost impossible, because the fighting is going on everywhere in Ukraine right now, and especially in those areas as well. I'm so, so sorry to hear that, and I... I'm so in awe of your strength to be able to talk to us today. Why was it important for you to do this interview? First of all, because I want to pay a tribute to my mom because she was a woman of a great strength and courage. I'm 33 years old and I'm not prepared to be without my mom. I'm not prepared to be without her. I sent a message to my boyfriend, so he, he told me that I've always seen her strength through you. And I said, but she left me alone right now. She left me now when it's so dangerous and difficult to work. And he replied to me, no, she gave you this strength. She gave her strength to you. The situation I am in right now, many people in Ukraine experience because of the separation with their beloved people, because of the war that started in 2014. When Donetsk and Lugansk areas were separated from Ukraine, they established self-proclaimed Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republic. There was a permanent front line in the past eight years, and now you can see the all-out war all over Ukraine, which makes absolutely impossible for me to be able to attend the funeral of my mom because 
because there are no flights, international flights. I cannot go to Russia via Istanbul, for example, to come through that side to Donetsk. I cannot go straight before the war, before this war. I, I would be able to cross and spend eight hours at the checkpoint. I'm still considering the risks because there are no official checkpoints at the moment. It just continues fighting everywhere. It means for me to go somewhere where people are fleeing from. Mm, yeah. This is a tragedy of this situation. Apart from the sorrow, apart from the feeling that I experience right now, we have this feeling of the separation from your beloved people and being unable to to say goodbye, to say the last goodbye to my to my mom. Katerina's already referenced this, but to really understand her story, you also need to know about the history of Donetsk and Lugansk collectively known as Donbass. As she said, Russian-backed separatists took over territories in the predominantly Russian-speaking Donbass back in 2014. And that part of eastern Ukraine has been in conflict ever since. It's difficult to pass the contact line between the Ukrainian-held area where Katerina is and the separatist-held area where her parents are. Hundreds of thousands of people fled, but not Katerina's family. When the war started in 2014, I'm originally from Donetsk, but my parents were not able to relocate and also they, in a way, didn't want to relocate because for adults who have already all their life in one area, it was unimaginable to relocate. It takes a lot of money and a lot of resources to do and also courage to do that because mostly young people decided to leave in 2014. The eight years that have passed have been difficult for families like Katerina's. When I asked how her mom passed away, she told me she had diabetes, as well as some previous injuries. But another reason is that it's very difficult to be hospitalized because the beds are full in the clinics. And I think also the stress because my parents were living under shelling for the past eight years. And on Monday, so basically two days ago, the shell landed on the next street from from my parents. They obviously heard it. So, of course, when such things happen next door to you, it affects. And um, I'm sure that that the war definitely affected the mental state and, and physical state of my parents. Of course. What went through your mind when you heard about the blast that happened a block away from them? I started writing a post on Monday on Facebook that this is the most difficult day of the past 20 days since the beginning of this war. But I didn't finish that post. And I wrote that... I'm sure it's the worst day yet to come. And today is the worst day. It was so difficult, you know, like on Sunday to get to know that one of the colleagues died that was covering the war. American journalist and documentary filmmaker Brent Renaud was shot and killed today in a suburb of Kiev. Then on Monday, I heard news about the shelling in Donetsk, about this big attack. Then yesterday, another colleague, a Fox News colleague, died, as well as their local producer, 24 years old. We've got some very difficult news to share with you now. Fox News cameraman Pierre Shashevsky has died in Ukraine. Alexandra Sasha Kushnova died alongside Pierre when incoming fire hit their vehicle. And then today, the death of my mom. 
So the chain of this event, of course, affects our work. And I'm afraid to even predict what can happen next because this is already very difficult. Of course. This is already very difficult for me. Yeah. So you mentioned that your parents had been living through this war for eight years. And as someone who grew up in Donetsk, what was your reaction when war first broke out in 2014? Are you having flashbacks? Do you remember what that was like? Back then I was 25 years old. And it was difficult initially to comprehend that the war has started. But the good thing is that I was young. And I always was optimistic and believed that it will finish at some point. I've never believed that I can die. So I lived in Donetsk and, and my native language is Russian. And suddenly these guys who I consider my guys fight against these guys who are also my guys. So I couldn't comprehend why the war is happening because back then Russian language was not suppressed in Donbass and still living in Kiev, in Odessa or Kharkiv, I'm absolutely able to speak Russian. Nobody ever say a word to me against it. Still, Katerina found herself living and working in a war zone. These pro-Russian activists have uh, occupied two government buildings, one in Lugansk, the other one in Donetsk. Pro-Russia separatists are now occupying the airport in the eastern capital of Donetsk. Now, Ukraine's military has launched a major offensive to get it back. International investigators are being granted access to the crash site of a Malaysia Airlines jet in eastern Ukraine, a region where a war is playing out at the heart of Europe. The bad events were just exposing one after another. So... Being a young girl, and then all this hell is happening around you, I still, I don't know even how I survived. You know, back then I was thinking that the main challenge that I accomplished is that I stayed alive. But here we are in 2022, and here am I again in the same survival mode. No plans, no understanding when it will finish. I have to experience it one more time. Sometimes it's absolutely impossible to read news. I'm always working in news, but sometimes my mind cannot comprehend the news because you just you just see on social media horrors, damages, destructions, deaths of people on daily basis. And I mean, it's like what what mind can uh, absorb all this? Exactly, especially when you are trying to stay alive yourself. So for this war, you have been reporting from different cities since the invasion in February. What has that been like for you to travel across the country, your own country, in these circumstances? I traveled to Kharkiv. I've been to Mariupol uh, before it was besieged. I visited Zaporizhia and the areas around. And it's completely horrible to see what people live through. It looks like a flashback, to be honest. The checkpoints, the entrenching of people, the shelling. It's horrible to see people fleeing, but in much more bigger numbers. You definitely see the same uh, pictures you've seen in 2014. You see people in the cars with the stickers, children on the windscreen. Uh, you see damaged by shrapnel cars. You see people who are losing their extremities, people who are hiding in the basement, people who are hiding in the shelters. Because all, all the time, all the time, uh, shelling touch some civilian infrastructure. 
I've just got news about Mariupol, that the cultural theater in the center of Mariupol was destroyed. Ukrainian officials say Russian forces bombed a theater used as a shelter in Mariupol. According to the Ukrainian officials, people were hiding in the basement. Nobody knows who died there. Nobody knows how many people died there, how many people died under this wreckage. But apart from this, this is civilian infrastructure. So it's not the military facility. Russian bombs have ripped through these buildings in central Kharkiv. The area is silent and brutally scarred. Kharkiv, who is a cultural capital of Ukraine, second biggest city, the whole city center is completely destroyed. I mean, it's just uh, unbelievable. You cannot find words to describe the what we feel right now. Right, of course. And yet you are doing um, an incredibly vivid job of sharing what it is like. And it sounds devastating. Katerina has been traveling across all of these cities over the course of the war, driving around in a car with her team of fellow journalists. I asked her if being a member of the press made her feel safer or not. No, absolutely not, because especially in the first uh, days of this war, I I would say that, for example, the uh, sign press or TV would actually play against us because the um, Russians use different signs like V, which is for Chechen's fighters. So V can actually play against you. So now it's better to move um, in small cars, not in the minivans, remove all the signs from the top. Like even initially we had the name TV uh, on the top of the car to be visible for the drones because it's also very easily to be hit by drone. Wow. I mean, it's, it's not safe anywhere right now. There's one moment in particular that I wanted to ask Katerina about. It's a run-in that she and the Al Jazeera crew had with Ukrainian soldiers, and it's captured on camera. She told me about it. You need to be very cautious when you work, especially in the first days of war. It was so dangerous because people were establishing checkpoints everywhere on the road in order to look for saboteurs or subversive groups. We we were about to start our life in the town of Zaporizhia, um, one hour away from Dnipro. And we didn't see that um, we were filming next to the positions of the National Guard because they were entrenched. And we didn't know that simply because it was something new. And um, at some point we heard the sound of shooting. They approached us, they ran towards our minivan, they told us to get out of the car, to lay down on the ground and uh, show our details and passport. Of course, I was shouting, I, I, was, I, I told them, mm, uh, calm down, I'm the only person who speaks Russian and Ukrainian, please can you uh, listen to me because they are foreigners. So it was intense. I was still in the car when our three male colleagues were already on the floor. I was still trying to get out of the car and the gun was pointed on me. Okay, that wasn't the first time in my life, but it's always, you cannot actually expect it, right? And uh, at some point, they even shot the phone of our cameraman. Because I was observing things, of course, I understood that, okay, they, they are gradually coming down. But because of my colleagues who were on the ground, I cannot even imagine how scary it was for them because they only could hear the sound of shooting quite close to their faces. 
So this is to describe how tense was uh, atmosphere at the beginning of this war because the military were nervous and I cannot even... I don't exclude that situation might repeat again because it's dangerous to work uh, in the conflict zone, uh, no matter that it's your country or not. You have been speaking to people throughout the course of your travels around the country, and you've been sharing stories of some of the people you've met over the last few weeks on social media. Are there any stories that stick out to you that you want people to know about? For me, at the moment, the most traumatic were those people who live in Kharkiv, in the metro, in the subway. You can see that uh, a young mom, 19 years old, with, with a newborn baby who is just like a couple of days, uh, 10 or 11 days old, and how she needs to look after him. And this is her first step as a mother. It's so difficult. Every day we wash him upstairs. I'm so worried about him getting cold. When you cover the war, the death is always close to the new life. So it's always important to see that young kids, important to see the newborns, because it shows you some hope that the, no matter that the war is going on, but life is still prevails. Uh, life still prevails over the death. Yesterday, we, in Zaporizhia, we saw people who were evacuated from the Zaporizhia regions, and they were hungry, they were cold. You think, why, why people are suffering? Why? Like, because everyone lived a normal life. You know, I mean, they had hopes, they had some plans. And now everyone is, like, in this position that they have to struggle and, and fight every day just to stay alive. So... In the chain of these tragic stories, basically one story overlap another story. But I'm always very happy to see the hope. Did you have plans? What 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 would you be doing right now if you weren't reporting on this? Probably only one plan stopped. Uh, it's a documentary, and uh, unfortunately, this work is suspended. Um, one of the uh, offers was to do a documentary about my parents, about this tragedy that our lives were split up by the contact line, by the front line. And this is a sadness that I won't be able to do that anymore. So try to do everything. This is an advice. Uh, do your projects, plans when it's not late, because it can be too late Katerina, you mentioned that you wanted to do this interview because you wanted to pay tribute to your mom, and we are so grateful. Can you share one of your favorite memories of her? I was so angry with her today that she left me, and uh, I almost couldn't see her uh, throughout my childhood. My mom uh, was a coal mine engineer, mm. and my father is a coal miner. So these people who actually built Donbass, who established Donbass, they always risked their life going underground and then not knowing whether they will be able to get on the surface and to see the sun because uh, the work is so hard. It's 800 meters underground. Wow. You have a very good question today because I was trying to remember those memories, what actually she gave to me, because I've never seen my mom at home because she worked so hard. But um, 
She always called me when I was in most dangerous situations. When I was so close to risk and danger, she felt it with her heart. She felt it uh, and she called me in, in the very inappropriate moments. <laughs> but I know that she, won't, she wouldn't want me to risk my life right now and go to attend the funerals. She doesn't know what, what I've lived through in the past eight years because I, I tried to... I tried to... Um, you don't want to worry her. Yeah, I wanted to protect her. So I didn't tell about many shocking stories uh, that I lived through about the shelling or when I was detained or the gun was pointed at me. So I was trying to protect her. But I want to promise her that I will eat well and um, I will wear a hat when it's cold. That, that <laughs> I will promise. Because, because for her, the most important question was... Uh, I hope you're not hungry, Katya. And I promise not to be hungry. I promise to look to look after myself because just um, for her to... I will look after myself because I'm now a grown-up girl. And that's the take. We'll link to Katerina's reporting on Twitter. You can find us there and on Instagram at AJTheTake. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Priyanka Tilve, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Al-Milek and Munira Al-Tosari are the Takes engagement producers. Stacey Samuel is the Takes executive producer. We'll be back.